we've been in this uh, series called The Second Mile, and it's about Jesus' greatest message. It's called Sermon on the Mount. It's what we call it. It's not what he called it. Uh, but we did the first part of it and, uh, and basically talked about the Beatitudes or the blessings. And what Jesus is talking about here is something that everybody wants. You know what that is? It's happiness. Everybody wants to be happy. We just get really confused about how to find it. And we chase all kinds of detours. And sometimes we get down to the end of our lives and we never realize that we're like we've been on a wrong path. And so Jesus is laying it out here and so on. So this is, uh, it's called the second mile. And the second mile is the most difficult mile, but it's the mile in your life that's going to bring the greatest results. That's what Jesus is calling us to. And it fits right with our, with our whole mission statement that we are called, we are looking to be a community of people who have been transformed by the good news of Jesus. Like this isn't just something, oh, Jesus, get me to heaven when I die. So change my life. Change my life. And when that happens, when it really happens, then the calling is then to be a transforming influence for Jesus. Last week, or the last time I spoke, we talked about being salt and light. That's, that's what that's about. It's called, we are called to have a transforming influence in the world. So uh, in this whole thing and talking about appetites, you feed an appetite, what happens? It grows. It doesn't, you know, like, it's not like you satisfy it. It just keeps growing, okay? Whether it's alcohol or booze or whatever it happens to be, okay? Food. Uh, it just keeps growing. And this is, the, this is the thing in our world. Like you keep people telling you all the time, you know, if you drive our car, it's a newer car, you know, and it will satisfy you. Well, what happens is it satisfies you for a little while, but then, you know, then it, it rusts. It starts to decay, which is part of the world, the world system. So, and that's what we understand. You fall in love. You go, oh, I'm in love, you know. Well, then you have your first fight or you break up. It, it's an up and down thing. You buy your first car. This is so good. This is so cool. But it's only cool for a couple of years, right? And then you, you, know, you have your first job and then you have a boss and then you get your first home and then you get a payment book that's this thick and your first child and you find out that you just, you know, got the problem child of the world. You know, it's a strong will born with a, a martini in one hand and a cigar in the other. So it's just, and, and what Jesus promises us is he promises the peace that flows underneath all of this, the up and downs of life. And that's, and that's what happened. It's the happiness of Jesus, okay? Um, and this is something, again, you will never see this on an ad on TV. Nobody will ever say, you know, we have a great car, but you will not ever acquire or consume or exercise your way to happiness. They'll tell you that. But it's true. It's not a path to happiness. Um, Another thing that we learned, it's the confusion between pleasure and happiness. God has created both. God has given us, you know, all the sensors, you know, um, taste buds. He's given us everything to be able to sense pleasure. Pleasure is a good thing. But if you put pleasure before happiness, if you pursue pleasure, what will happen is it'll cancel out your happiness and it'll eventually, because of the law of diminishing returns, it'll cancel out your pleasure too. So you have to be careful which of those comes first in your life. Happiness, you pursue happiness as Jesus talks about it, it will ultimately bring pleasure. This is kind of the, the quadrant, is that God is at peace. He shares his peace with us, and we are at peace with him. And then that peace is supposed to spread out to other people. That's what happiness is. Happiness is peace. And then we talked about the path to happiness. And this is really what, what, the, uh, what these beatitudes or these blessings are. He's saying, you know, you depend on God, not on yourself. 
You try to depend on yourself and manufacture your own life and fulfill all of the things that are in the future, you'll kill yourself. It doesn't lead to happiness. You're at peace with death and loss. You know, the fact that, you know, everything's heading for the floor. And, and it's not like you like it, but it's just the reality because life is not the end. Death is not the end. There's more life afterwards. We're committed to doing the right thing. Because if you don't do the right thing, then what happens is you have guilt and shame down inside. That's what creates it. There's humility. There's this meekness. Happy are the people who are meek, who have this kind of understanding that I am not the king of the universe. I'm not the controller of my own future. Who are relationally generous. We do for other people what we would want them to do for us so that we're at peace with other people. There's clarity. You don't have, un, you don't have uh, there are unmixed motives. You're a peacemaker, and that makes you an unstoppable person. At the end of all of this, Jesus, if you remember, he says there's a big what if. He says, it's not like you could be the salt of the world if you're like you really learn your Bibles well and, and do really well and, and understand all the nuances. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And he asks the question, what if salt loses its saltiness? What if, you know, when you go out there and all the places where you, where you live your life, Needs salt, needs flavor, it needs preserving, it needs all these things that, that salt has. He says, you're the salt of the earth. What if you go out there and you don't do anything? You just keep it in the salt container. Well, nothing happens. Same with light. You know, people are stumbling around in the dark and you've got a flashlight in your pocket. He says, does that make sense? If that's who you are, if you're the light of the world and like you're keeping it hidden, it doesn't make sense. So Jesus says, go out there and shine. Okay? So that's what we talked about. Now, I want to talk about uh, peace today. This is kind of the last installment and talk about peace with God. So let me just throw this out there. How many of you uh, have seen some of the stuff that's gone on with Kanye West and so on in the recent, uh, in the recent months? And so on? Okay, Ann was the first one that told me about that. And then I began to look it up, you know, and I was shocked because he's kind of the bad boy of rappers, right? Like he's always doing something disturbing. I mean, the worst thing, he marries a Kardashian. I mean, really, come on. <laughs> So, so anyway, so I looked this up, you know, and it's like the Jesus is King album. And I thought, oh my word, what's going on here? And I started listening to some of what he was saying. And he's got this gospel tour going on and so on. And I'm thinking, this is, this is unbelievable. Now that's pretty cool, isn't it? See, because that's what Jesus does when he gets into a person's heart. The one thing I noticed about him is that he's smiling a lot. And you look at his face, and it's totally different than his angry rapper days. And he says in one of the interviews, he says, you know, like I was doing the drugs, and I was doing all this stuff, and he said it was just creating chaos. And that chaos was coming out in my music. Let's think about some cool peace things, okay? What if, what if, down in the United States, in the Senate, in the House of Representatives, somebody gets up and makes an announcement, and they say, you know what? We have been tangled up for the last 20 years. Like, we've just been fighting each other. The, the country has made absolutely no progress, and we're sick of doing that. So we have committed that we are going to work together, hold us accountable. We are going to work together to make this a better place. What would you think? You'd think, oh, what's going on there? Or, okay, let's use a, a more current example. Let's say it's here, you know. And, you know, the, 
the NDPs and the conservatives and the liberals, you know, they get up and they say, you know what, we've been carrying on like a bunch of kids in parliament. We've been making fun of each other and, and throwing insults at each other. And we have basically totally stopped this country from moving forward. And we want to apologize to the Canadian people. And you hold us accountable. We are going to work together and we are going to cooperate with each other and we are going to live in peace. What would happen? Everybody would cheer, right? Imagine something even crazier than that. Imagine if ISIS and Al-Qaeda came on national TV and they said, we are sick of all the bloodshed. We've been flying planes into buildings and we've been strapping bombs to ourselves and blowing up ourselves in, you know, in crowded places. And we are tired of the bloodshed, and we are tired of the chaos, and it has destroyed us, and it has destroyed, destroyed other people, and we want to come to terms of peace and stop the nonsense. What would you think? Jesus came to bring peace. He came to bring peace. Listen to, let me just read some of what the Bible says about that, because everybody wants peace. Peace is at the very core of all happiness. And it says this about Jesus. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many people. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Can you imagine that? All the armies just basically saying, you know what, we're going to put away the aircraft carriers and we're going to put away, you know, the nuclear weapons. We're just going to stop this nonsense. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. People walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. And you need to know this is what Jesus is up to. Jesus, this is what he's up to. He is Yahweh Shalom. He is Yahweh God who comes to make things right in this world and set all things to peace. And I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing here, it's going to happen. God is at work to bring peace. And that's why somebody like Kanye West would all of a sudden have his life turned around. Do you want peace? Do you want peace? See, that's the question. Do you want peace? Do you want to live in the happiness and the peace that only God can bring? One of the first things you see in Jesus' teaching on happiness is that being at peace is directly related to being at peace with yourself. And so here's the question I want to ask you first, okay? Do I want peace? And that's, that's the question you have to think about. Do I want peace? So yes, do I want peace? Yes. No, I don't care. I can live in chaos and, and the more the better. Or Maybe. And I think that this is where a lot of people in our world, I think everybody wants peace, but they think, well, you know, so can I, can I have peace and just do whatever I want, no matter who it affects? Or can I have peace and can I be right all the time? 
because I need to be right. Or can I have peace and can I be Lord? Like, can I be the grand poobah of the universe? Can I, you know, have all the glory and honor that should be coming my way? And I think that that's where people get stuck, right? So when you go through the Beatitudes, you know, the first part has to do with being at peace with me. It's like the poor in spirit, and Jesus is saying here, you know, like if, if you think you're going to be in charge of your whole, you know, future and stuff and make sure that you have all the money and stuff, because happiness has nothing to do with how much you have or how much you don't have. It's basically understanding that everything that you come have comes from God. Can you do that? And will you do that? The second part is being at peace with death. We've already talked about this. Death doesn't end at all. Death, in many ways, just begins at all. And as awful as it feels aging and looking in the mirror and seeing everything hitting for the floor, you know, nobody likes that. But, you know, it, it's, it's a reality of life, and you have to come to peace with that. I don't have to be right, you know? It comes to the peace. It comes to the people who are meek, people who are thinking, you know what? Like, uh, I am I'm a part of God's creation, but I'm not the center of it. I don't have to be the center of it. And it talks about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It's, it comes to, pe- being at peace within comes to, you know, being committed to doing what's right. You don't want to know why? Because when you do what's wrong, it creates chaos in your heart. It creates guilt and shame. That's where all this junk comes from. And then there's being at peace with others, living a relationally generous life. And, it's a, you know, it comes to the people who are merciful. I mean, if you, you know, anybody here who doesn't mind, you know, if people hate you and, you know, and, and pay you back for everything you do, no, you want, you want mercy. So do for others what you want them to do for you. Pure motives. You know, if you're looking at other people and you want to use them to get what you want out of them, whether it happens to be their money or their body or whatever it happens to be, you know, then you're not going to be at peace. Nobody likes to, ha- to be used. And then it has to be a peacemaker. You know, you, if you want peace, you have to make it. You have to be willing to go sometimes to people and say, you know what, I was wrong. I want to be at peace with you. Would you please forgive me? You have to make peace. And then the final part is that the price tag doesn't stop you from doing what's right. You know, even if you get persecuted. So, so there's being at peace with me and then being at peace with others. Now, I want to talk about being at peace with God because that's what's behind all of this, okay? That's what uh, kind of is, you know, at the very foundation of it. And you know what the problem is at the foundation? Anybody know? It's sin, right? We don't like to hear that. But let me just explain it like this. Part of it has to do with sin, like kind of the, the whole thing that's going on in our world that makes things so uncomfortable and difficult and chaotic, okay? That's the sin part, and then there's my sin. So let's talk about, you know, the fact of, of you know, sin. Now, one of the best ways to describe this, and I think it's Andy Stanley who describes it like this, it has to do with the nation that you're born in. Now, I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, so I'm an American. Now, there are some good things about that, and there are some bad things about that. One of the things I found out when I moved up here is that you know, all the people in the GTA didn't think that Americans were wonderful. I was a little puzzled, you know? So, so I realized I was born in the nation of sin, you know? And so, and the point is that it's not fair, but it's true. So my kids went into school, you know, and, and uh, other kids found out that they were Americans. And I'm telling you, you know, they got, they got hassled for it and so on. So it's not fair, but it's true. 
And that's just the way it is with all of us. There are some things about us because we were born into the nation of sin. It's not fair, but it's true. And one of the things that's not fair is that, you know, we have this disposition and we will almost always head for doing things that will, you know, are for ourselves. We will do that. And then, of course, that creates all kinds of chaos because everybody else is doing that too, right? And so it creates this mess. It's, so we're born in the nation of sin. And what this means is it means that we are separated from God. And it's not because he kicked us out. It's because, you know, we can go back to our ancestors, Adam and Eve, and they basically kicked him out of the garden. They put their faith in, you know, this other voice that was basically saying, are you really sure? I mean, you know, like it's the fruit thing. Like, is that that big of a deal? And like, why don't you? You know, and, and they listen. And what happened is that it created all this chaos that we find ourselves in. And that is where all the suffering comes from. That's, you know, we are born in the nation of sin. Now, if you want to blame an ancestor for that, you can do that. The Bible tells us, Jesus tells us it was Adam and Eve. They made the decision so that you can, you can blame them. But listen to what happened. Because God had said that this kind of stuff, that sin separates, that sin creates death, then that's what's happened to all that we are familiar with. It says, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. And it wasn't like he looked at the world and said, I'm just going to curse everybody here because I'm so angry. It's not it. He had already he had said that sin is going to lead to death, and that's the reality of what actually happened. Okay? Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Sin kills. That's just the truth of it. It ruins. Let me just give you an example of this. Back in 1967, my dad was coming back from a conference he was at and driving up through Pennsylvania. So he's coming around a curve and some woman was coming the other way and she lost control of her car and bam, slammed into him head on. You know, both doing about 50 miles an hour. Well, that, you know, ruined everything. Ruined, you know, ruined the car for good. It ruined my dad's suit because he bled all over it. Uh, it ruined his day. Uh, fortunately, it didn't kill him, okay? But, but it did ruin everything. You ever, and how many of you can relate to that, okay? It's not fair, but it's true. You have a head-on collision with somebody, and it's going to ruin your day. And that's, and that's what's true about us, you know? And what happens is there's deception that gets involved in it. Remember, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. He said, I will lead your life. I will help you to find the right path. I will help you to find the way back to peace. But what happens is that there's also a poser shepherd. Now, somebody was making fun of my, my shepherds back there, you know? And I, I can't understand why. And they were making fun of my sheep, too. Well, I, I can't understand that. I couldn't tell if it was a poodle or a sheep. It's a sheep. Look at it, Okay. There we go. But the problem is that, you know, Jesus said that, that some shepherds are out there. They're, they're false shepherds. They're posers. They're fakes. He said the fake shepherd will steal and kill and destroy. You follow them, and that's what's going to happen in your life. And Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. And so what we have to get back to is, which shepherd am I going to follow? And that gets into the, the other problem, okay? There's not just the, sin, the big picture sin. There's my sin. The stuff that I do. The things that hurt other people. Anybody here ever committed friend aside? Like you killed a friendship. 
You did something that killed a friend. Come on, just raise your hands. Let's just be honest. We're talking. We're, God is here and he's watching. How many of you have ever killed off a friendship? Okay. I have. Okay. How many of you have ever killed off a career? How many of you have killed something else? <laughs> I see that other hand there. <laughs> Sin kills. It just does. Sometimes it's possible if you get, you know, sucked into the wrong kinds of stuff and you follow the wrong shepherd, man, it will kill your body. It will take your life a little bit at a time because sin deceives us and then it kills. And maybe the best way to describe how we get sucked into this stuff is to how Jesus describes God as a heavenly father. Okay, let me explain what I'm talking about here. Um, how many of you, when you were teens, were at odds at least a little bit with your parents? I mean, just raise your hand, anybody, just a little bit. I was, okay? So at some point, like when things weren't going your way, you know, you'd go up to your room and slam the door, you know, and you'd text all your friends and tell them, you know, how awful your parents were and, and that they hated you and you hated them and, and so on. You went through this whole thing. And so, so you understand that, that you've got this, this problem between you and your parents, right? Well, sometimes we have that kind of a problem with our Heavenly Father. Now, as a parent, when you're a parent and you have a kid and they're off on some tangent and stuff like this, you know, you have to make a decision. Am I going to do something that, that is for me so that I can have peace right now? Or am I going to do something that's actually for them and it's going gonna, it's gonna to bring peace later on? Now, if you're not a parent yet, you may not understand that. But God's a good parent, you see. And so he tells us that there are some things that are going to kill us. And we say, well, I don't believe you. I think you're telling me a lie. I think you're just trying to mess up my life and, you know, keep. And so, you know, what he will say is, you know what? You can go up to your room and you can slam the door and you can lay down on the floor and you can pound your fist, you know, and stomp your feet and you can cry and wail and tell everybody that you hate me. But he says, I'm not changing my mind because I'm a good father. And I can see things that you can't possibly see in your future. So I love you. I'm not going to kick you out of the family because good parents don't do that. But you just need to know you're following a poser. And it's going to create some havoc in your life. John, one of Jesus' closest uh, disciples, puts it like this. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, you know, and God just says, come on, own it. Like, you know, it's true. If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all the other junk that's going on in our lives. If we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and it's showing and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. So when we claim that everything's okay and we're walking in darkness and creating chaos, you know, and do things that, you know, that are not right, we lie to God and we lie to others. And see, the deal is, if you say, I want peace, and you're taking that track, taking that path, you're not going to find peace. And if you don't have peace, you're not going to find happiness either. If you know in your heart what God wants you to do, and you say, I'm not going to do it, then you're set up for anxiety. And John brings out another piece to this puzzle. And he says, if anyone claims I'm living in the light, but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who does not, who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. 
but anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. In other words, you can't say, you know, well, Jesus and I are just good, you know, but them, huh, we don't know. You know, you, you can't hate somebody that God loves and be okay with him. So we're going to be talking about that more as we, as we get along in this, in this series. And this tells us, this passage tells us you've got to live at peace with other people, and it tells us how. It says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And it's talking about that the peace with other people part. You know, when we, when we tell people we forgive them, then that's, it's not a matter of, you know, like I'm going to, I forgive you, at least that's what I'm going to say, but I'm going to kick you around every chance I get, and I'm going to beat you with a list of sins. It's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is canceling the debt, and that's what he calls us to do because that's what he does for us. Now, peace with God starts, it starts when, you, when we resolve the tension between us and him. And the point is, you see, that he's made a way for us to do that. That's why Jesus came. You know, um, and, and he has the right to put up the signs because he's the, he's the sign maker. And it's really interesting when it talks about the sign that came up when Jesus was born. Uh, he posted it 2,000 years ago. Let me read what it was. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. People, listen, this is the sign. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Now you understand what that's talking about, right? It's saying how Jesus humbled himself. He ran the universe. And he humbled himself to come and to give his life. Why would you reject that? He did that so that we could have peace with God. And suddenly the angel was joined by a host of others. And this, the angels are rejoicing, not because they're, the Son of God is lying down there in the middle of all the dirt and the, and the flies and the manure. But they know what he's doing. They know what God's up to, that he's making peace with the world by humbling himself like he did. Praising God and saying, glory to God and highest earth, on highest heaven, and peace on earth. Peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. You think about that sign. Seven pounds of squalling baby lying in a manger down in all this filth where none of us would want to be born or give birth to a child. That's what the sign was. And it was the only way for us to be at peace with him and peace with others. It's the only way to find happiness. If you want happiness, that's the question I want to ask you. Do you want peace? Do you want peace? Because if you do, you have to make peace with God. You have to make peace with Him. And see, the other thought I have is if you're thinking, well, I'm just not too sure about this plan, then what's your plan? Do you have a better plan? for yourself, for your own heart, for the universe? How are you going to make peace? God has already done that, and he's done it through Jesus. What happens is when we receive, when we just simply accept the gift that God offers us through his son, then the spirit of peace, that's what he talks, Jesus is the prince of peace. He sends the spirit of peace into our hearts, and it changes us. See, the way this works is this is at the core of unhappiness. It's me being at the center of my heart. It's me making my own decisions. It's me kind of running my own life and trying to run other people's lives too. 
That, that is at the core of, of unhappiness. Happiness comes when we, when we allow the spirit of peace to come into our hearts. Now, here's the question that we ask. So, what if I give him part of it, and then I'll save this part for me? What do you think happens? Well, it's like, <laughs> it's kind of like having water and saying, you know what, I'm just going to put a little drop of poison in there, or a little bit of bacteria in there. I'm not, not much, but just a little bit in there. It, it contaminates the whole thing. And it hurts the peace that we want. Now, here's the deal. There are a lot of you who have given your lives to Jesus Christ. You've invited him into your life. And, and you felt a measure of peace with that. But right now, there's something going on in your life, some area of defiance, and you're just basically saying, nope. Uh-uh. Not going to do what you want. And I'm telling you, it will it will ruin your peace. And you see, the purple Kool Aid in our world system basically says, you know what? If you can become the sexiest and the most successful, and you know, and the greatest person on your block, or the person with the best garden, or whatever it is, you know, that that will bring happiness. And I'm telling you, that's not. It can bring a certain amount of pleasure. But it doesn't bring happiness. It doesn't bring peace. And you just really have to decide if you believe Jesus or not. And the question I would ask if you've never done this is, why would you, why would you reject an offer of peace from a God who gives his son on a cross? Jesus described this. And, and he didn't say, you know, you're awful, horrible people, and I hope they die and go to hell. He, he simply described it as being lost. Anybody here who's ever lost a child? Lost, you know, I mean, they, they got lost. They didn't lose them. And, but you, you've lost a child. Anybody here? Am I the only one? Okay. See, what happens? We, we went to this uh, old camp down in Pennsylvania. It's called Mahafe Camp. So you have to understand, like, you look up the word primitive and, you know, Pictionary or, or Wikipedia or something like that, and it has a picture of Mahaffey there. Like, they had what we called golf course bathrooms. They were basically like giant outhouses, you know, 18 holes in a path. And there were like 2,000 people that, that went to this camp, you know. So, anyways, they had this service for kids at dusk, and uh, Brian was there. So, he's like three or four years old at that time. And somehow, he, he escaped. So it's, it's getting dark, you know, and, and somebody comes up to us and tells us, we got Kelly here, but Brian is nowhere to be found. So at first, you know, you think yourself, you calm yourself down, you know, my first circuit around the campground, and, and you're thinking, it's probably going to be okay, you know, he's probably with somebody, you know, and, and then he wasn't there. So, you know, at first you're trying to be cool about it, you know, anybody see my son, you know, and then later on it's like, Brian, anybody see my son? He's lost. He's about this high. He's got dark hair and dark eyes. You know, you know and so walking around the whole campground, finally it, it was dark. And Lori and I are standing outside of this little cottage thing that we had. And we were just like, like, God, please help us. And it was right about then that this couple that we knew came up and each one of them was holding his hand, you know. Ugh. We were looking for you. I wasn't looking for you. You know, it was, it was just, 
when you lose a child, it's just like this panic, this awful feeling inside. This place, you know, had woods all around it and the highway, and you imagine all the worst. Being lost, it's not, it's not being evil or bad or horrible. It's just like you're lost. And God cares about everybody who's lost to him. Because his love is way bigger than you would ever dream. And I would ask you today, do you want peace? Do you want peace? Peace is in being found. And being found is not this complicated prayer that you have to pray, and if you get it wrong, you know, you might die and go to hell. This is like, it's like I accept. God offers you a gift. Gift is life and peace. And it's, I accept. I accept. Give me the strength and I'll follow you. Just help me to do what's right, but I accept what you've offered at the price of your son. And I would just simply invite you to accept today.